Kings and queens, welcome to another episode of the Bottom Line Podcast, where if we ain't talking dollars, then it ain't making sense. I am your host, Jaden Hollywood, financial life coach here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I help millennials of color get their financial life together. You can stay connected with me on all social media at The Great Jaden. You can also follow the show at The Bottom Line Pod. On this podcast, we talk about finances in small doses, making it easier for the listeners to digest. We have three segments, those being music, movies, and money. This week, for music, we're going to be talking about Chameleon Air. For movies, we're going to be talking about Fast and Furious. And the money topic this episode is going to be Lyft. So buckle up, because we're going on a ride to drop off some gems. The music segment of our show is being brought to you by Tidal. Did you know that Tidal actually pays its artists almost twice as much as other streaming services? So while the artist is bringing more to their bottom line, you as the customer are not sacrificing your bottom line. If you're still on the fence but you want to try it out, hit the link in our bio and you can get a free 60-day trial with Tidal today. Grammy award-winning rapper Chameleonaire has made substantial investments. Some companies that he's invested in include Makers Studios, which was later acquired by Disney, Cruise, which was later acquired by GM, Ring, which was later acquired by Amazon, and last but not least, Lyft, which we'll talk about later. Chameleonaire has definitely been making some hashtag money moves. He's most known for a song Riding, which you just heard, and was featured on, and that song specifically was the hit single from his first debut studio album, The Sound of Revenge, which we'll be reviewing today. The album was released on November 2nd, 2005, and it features guest appearances from people such as Lil Flip, Lil Wayne, Crazy Bone, Bun B, Scarface, Billy Cook, Killer Mike, and Pastor Troy. This is back in the day when, you know, people was featuring for cheap. Nowadays, you don't see that a lot anymore because rappers just want to kill each other and, and beef and all that instead of work together. But that's neither here nor there. It's produced by people such as Scott Storch, Manny Fresh, Playing Skills, just to name a few. The album debuted at number 10 on the U.S. Billboard 200 charts, selling 800,000 copies in its first two weeks. And it later became certified platinum by selling over 1.1 million copies in the United States. The album also peaked at number two on the U.S. Billboard Top R&B and Hip Hop charts. Now, listening to this album... For this episode, it brought back a flashbacks to an era when rappers from Texas was really, they were really at the forefront of rap. The chopped and screwed music style started to become popular worldwide, which I think brought more attention to 
Houston and Texas rap as a whole. What's the bottom line here? The bottom line is that the album is long. In my opinion, it's a little too long. But back in the day, having an album over an hour, almost two hours was normal. But now it's, it's too long. I will say I feel like it's a solid album. As far as content is concerned, we could have done without the interludes. Take the interludes out and you and you got you you got you a real good album. If you're a fan of the Texas rap sound, if you're a fan of people who actually rap, then you're going to love going down memory lane listening to this album. One race, 2G buy it, winner takes all. I don't have any cash, but I do have the pink slip to my car. You brave, you brave. You're in. The original Fast and Furious movie, which was released in 2001, cost about $38 million to produce. Now, according to Forbes, the movie brought in about $145 million domestically and $207 million worldwide. So the bottom line here is $169 million profit. I don't know about y'all, but there's a lot of things that I can do with $169 million. The movie originally had mixed reviews. Even though much of the population was gung-ho about the movie, there were a good amount of critics that had their doubts. But with the movie being backed by Universal Studios, definitely helped it fund seven more sequels. I'm an action movie lover. I love the typical shoot 'em up movies. I love movies. Anything that involves fast cars or... Uh, you gotta, you gotta find the villain, shoot the villain up. They shooting back. I'm with it. Okay. So I will say when the first movie came out, I thought it was cool, but comparing it to the movie now, it's nowhere near the level of crispiness. Okay. The original one in 2001 versus the one in 2017, it, it, there's so much that is different between the two movies, but that's to be expected for two reasons. The first reason being the cost. Okay. The first movie only cost 38 million while the most recent Fast and Furious cost 250 million. Did you hear me? 250 million dollars to produce that's a 212 million dollar difference and while most of that did go to pay for the more well-known actors and seasoned actors a good chunk of that went to special effects which brings me to my second reason technology technology and filmmaking has advanced so much over the past 20 years that producers are now able to better manipulate the final picture that viewers see on a movie screen without making it obvious that it's been digitally retouched. Geniuses, I tell you. Geniuses. Now, out of all of the Fast and Furious movies, we want to know, let us know on Twitter which one of the Fast and Furious movies of the franchise is your favorite. I'm about to make a deposit, but I'll be right back. 
met a partner at Upfront Ventures 10 years ago. You've been in this game for a long time. You also said that you wanted to make more money in investing than you did in music. Have you reached that point yet? And can you share some of the things that you've learned, kind of your pro tips um, on investing in startups? Um, actually, my focus is not necessarily about money as much as people think. I, I, there's a lot of miscommunication out there and people often post articles that I'm trying to be a billionaire. That's not actually the case. I believe that this industry has a lot of, uh, you know, just value in it. And this value hasn't been given to my community. So what I'm trying to do is learn as much as I can, make a lot of investments so I can plant some seeds to help my family, but then also bring a lot of other people in. Um, that's really why I'm here. I feel like a lot of these companies are disrupting the world. Um, you know, there's self-driving cars, there's you know, uh, electric buses, there's wireless charging and so much innovation that's happening here. And people from my world generally. That short clip that you heard was rapper Chameleonaire, who is one of the investors of Lyft. So for today's money segment, I want to talk about Lyft from three different aspects. I want to talk about it from a consumer aspect, from an employee aspect and from an investor aspect. So let's start with the consumer. To differentiate in a price competitive market, Lyft created an authentic value driven brand that appealed to a community of younger, socially conscious customers. From the earliest days, Lyft has put an emphasis on how its customers are treated and how its drivers were perceived. Drivers were encouraged to fist bump their riders and invite them to sit in the front of their car. Lyft positioning as your friend with a car starkly contrasts Uber because Uber is more focused on having low prices. Uber has two big categories. They have Uber X and then they have Uber Black service. So with the Uber Black service, you're treated as if you're being chauffeured around. And with that type of relationship, it doesn't really create an environment that makes it that your driver is your friend. It's mainly just get me from point A to point B and don't talk to me. So the rider experience is very different with Lyft than it is with Uber. And Lyft was very intentional about making it that way from the very beginning. Research reveals that 89% of millennials are likely to switch brands associating with a good cost given a similar price and quality. Lyft capitalized on this by highlighting the campaigns that they were a part of that are socially responsible. For example, Lyft donated $1 million to the ACLU in the wake of Donald Trump's immigration orders that led to over 7% increase in its riders. Now, I know 7% might seem like a low number, but when you multiply that percentage by the amount of riders that Lyft gets every year, that's a big deal, a huge deal. Lyft also gives back to the community. When Hurricane Harvey happened, Chameleonaire partnered with Lyft to provide $1,000 in ride credits to anybody that was affected by the natural disaster. So, from my perspective, being a 
customer of both Lyft and Uber, I definitely see the difference. I see that it's clear that Uber drivers do not go through the extensive process that Lyft drivers have to go through. I've also went through both of those processes as well. So with Uber, you pretty much just have to submit all your paperwork. And if everything checks out, then you're good to go. They mail you what you want, what you need. Sorry. And it's not very personal. With Lyft, you submit your paperwork and then you have an in-person interview where pretty much a supervisor meets you at a parking lot. They talk to you to get to know you a little bit, just to make sure that you're a good fit for the company. They take your picture. They take pictures of your car to make sure your car is in compliance. They drive around with you. So it's much more of a personal relationship with Lyft because you're actually dealing with a human being, a friendly human being at that. So by creating the company culture at inception, it then bleeds over into the culture of the brand overall. So the drivers of Lyft are the front face of the company. So when riders come into a Lyft car, it's then the driver's job to make sure that 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 culture of the company is is being given and is being shared appropriately. Otherwise, the brand is just going to go downhill. With Uber, I have had so many bad experiences. I literally have videos in my phone of a Uber driver that was on the phone the whole 40 minutes that I was in her car. And she was talking about things that I did not need to hear. Okay. I've had Uber drivers cuss me out because they have driven past me. I have had terrible experiences. And when I've even gotten in an Uber, where there was vomits in the back seats. And when you express these problems with Uber, they give you like a $5 credit. That's not good enough. I had one bad incident with Lyft. And you know what they did? They gave me a full refund. So from a customer standpoint, I stand with Lyft. I actually deleted my Uber app. And I, I personally will never call an Uber ever again. I might hop in one if somebody else is paying for it. You hear me? But me spending my money with Uber, it's not happening. Now let's talk about Uber from an employee standpoint. Now let's make something clear. As an Uber driver, you are a contractor. You are not an employee. Being an independent contractor comes with self-employment taxes. There are also other hidden costs associated with being a driver, such as gas, car washes, interior detailing, insurance, tolls, car payments, maintenance. And it really makes you think to yourself, how much do Lyft drivers really make after all that is said and done? And to answer your question, it really depends on a number of different factors. First of all, where you're driving, because different cities, Lyft is more popular than others. 
Lyft started in San Francisco and in California, I realized from doing my research that the ride prices are more expensive, especially in LA versus here in Atlanta or in Vegas or in Maryland. I remember catching a lift in Vegas and I think that there are at least 50 lifts on the strip at all times. Guaranteed. You'll never wait more than 10 minutes for a lift if you're at a hotel on the strip. Okay. Also, you got to think about how long you're driving and when you're driving because there's peak hours. If you are driving during the morning rush when people need to get to work or people need to get to the airport, you're more likely to encounter surge pricing where the prices are a little bit higher because rides, ride shares are more in demand versus at two o'clock when not as many people need rides. Also, you got to think about how long you're driving for. Some people think that they're just going to drive four hours a day and that is going to pay them a full-time salary. And that's not the case. Ridester.com states that full-time earnings, which is driving from 45 to 50 hours a week, can get you about $800 a week with Lyft. And that's after Lyft takes out their commission. So that sounds okay, right? $800 a week. I mean, this not enough for me, but for maybe somebody that's 18, 19, 20, that, that might be all they need. But you have to think about all the other things that you have to subtract, such as taxes, gas, car washes, interior detailing, all the things that we spoke about earlier is coming back full circle. So once you subtract all these expenses, you're looking at bringing home $400 or $500 if you're lucky a week. So the bottom line here is Lyft is a great side hustle, but if you're looking to make real money moves, you might just want to look at it as just that, a side hustle while you're working your full-time job. You do you you have to do side hustles to go ahead and fund you, your full-time job pays the bills. Your side hustle fulfills your dreams. It helps you pay for your businesses that you want to start. It helps you pay for those extra things that you want. Maybe you want to go on a trip. Listen, I've even did Uber for a couple of weeks because I wanted to have a grand birthday. Y'all know I love doing above and beyond things for my birthday. So if I have to take a little side gig so I could get an extra $300, then that's what I'm going to do. And I've done it before. And hey, ain't no shame in my game. Now I make too much money to drive Lyft or Uber. I can't do it no more. My time, it just costs too much. My time is more valuable than what ride shares are willing to pay me. But if you need some money in between you know, some hard times or you just need some extra cash, I say go for it. But I would not suggest anybody over the age of 22 years old looking at rideshare as a full-time gig 
a full-time job rather. And that's just me, in my opinion, if you're looking to make real money moves. Case closed, next case. Okay. Now let's talk about Lyft from an investor standpoint. So I don't know if a lot of you have been watching CNN or the news, but Lyft recently had a $911 million loss in 2018. So Lyft, what they decided to do was try to reduce their variable costs and improve their profitability. They they did that from 2017 to 2018 because they improved their gross margin from 24 to 43%. However, they're anticipating a $29 million net profit in 2019. So Lyft wants the public to believe that they are going to go from having a $911 million loss in 2018 to a $29 million net profit in 2019. Hmm. Okay, I wonder why they said that. Oh, of course, because they recently went public. Lyft stock price has recently fallen below the IPO price. And I know half of you are probably thinking, what's IPO? Okay, I'll break it down. The IPO is the initial offering price that a company is willing to sell its shares, which is pretty much like ownership, to investors. So the difference between the IPO and what investors actually pay is either going to be an instant profit or instant loss for investors. So, you know, with the stock market, it goes up and down, up and down, up and down all day, every day. Right. So Lyft, um, their IPO price was originally... I believe it was $72. And then, and this was on March 29th when they, when they started sharing on the public market, by the way. And after a few hours, it went up, it peaked at $87 and then it closed at $78. But as of right now, April 15th, before the market opens, the stock price is looking like $60. Yeah, that that's not good. That's not a good sign. It's it's constantly been going down and the proof is in the pudding. If you don't believe me, what I'm going to challenge you to do is download the Robinhood app. Most people think that in order to get involved with the stock market, you have to have an account with Edward Jones, you have to have E-Trade, you have to have an account with Charles Schwab. But in the year 2019, baby, we not doing that no more, okay? I'll get all of my clients to open up an account with Robinhood. And Robinhood is a way for you to invest in the stock market with no trading fees. And you do it all from your phone. And you are in complete control. Do y'all understand how revolutionary this is? 
You are in complete control as to how much money you put into your Robinhood account, what companies you invest in, when you buy and when you sell. So five years from now, there's no excuse as to why everybody listening to this podcast has not been making money moves in the stock market because the the information you need to be profitable is out there. Stop spending all your time watching Real Housewives of Atlanta. Get on YouTube and research how the stock market works. Because you would be doing what I'm doing and that's watching Lyft. I have Lyft on my watch list right now because what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait till it gets really low really low, maybe like $50 before I invest, because I know it's going to go up. I know it's going to go back up, but I'm going to wait till it gets real low before I invest so I can maximize on my profit. Because there's a lot of other companies that are looking at the activity of how Lyft is doing to determine whether they want to go public or not. Companies like Uber, Pinterest, Slack, Airbnb, all of these these companies that are pretty revolutionary with our generation, sooner or later will go public. But Lyft is pretty much one of the forefront runners right now as far as that's concerned. So there's going to be a lot of eyes on this company. And I, I think it's a good company to watch for. Now, I'm not your financial advisor. Okay. I want y'all to know that don't invest in this company and then lose your money and then try to take me to court because, hey, we don't have a contract. Okay, I just want to put that information out there. But I will say, if you haven't gotten the app already, go to the link in our bio. And if you download Robinhood, you'll actually get a free stock just for just for joining. And like I said, it's free. So you can't beat that. And that's it for this episode of the Bottom Line Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to share. Make sure that you share on all your social media. Make sure that you even text your friends. Listen, we don't need monetary support here. We just need people to share. That's all I ask. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you know when every new episode is being released. Episodes are released on the 1st and the 15th of every month. We're coming to you like a government check. All right? And remember to follow us on social media at The Bottom Line Pod. Keep making money moves, and we'll see you at the bank.